This morning I'd like to look at a verse of scripture in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And uh, we uh, quote and go to this a lot, at least the first nine verses, but uh, never make it to the tenth verse. And I would like to look at the tenth verse this morning. Ephesians, chapter 3, and verse 10. A lot of things in this, as, as there are in all scriptures, of course. But Philippians 3, and, and if you have a page marker, you might put it there, because we will be coming back and forth to this probably uh, several times. Philippians 3 and 10 says, That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering." being made conformable unto his death. So I'd like to break this out a little bit, uh, talk about, talks about that I may know him, and then uh, power of his resurrection, and fellowship of his suffering, and then, Lord willing, if we have time, uh, conformable unto his death. So we'd like to break that up into these uh, and bring some points out on, on each of these. But it says, starts out, that I may know him. That I may know him. And you think, well, you know, everybody knows him. We see his picture all the time. People talk about him all the time. And I'm sarcasm there. We don't know what he looked like. Uh, but anyway, uh, but that I may know him. And what, is it, what does it mean to know him? If I uh, walk up to a, somebody who's running for political office, this is probably a poor thing, and say, well, glad to meet you. Shaking his hand there. <laughs> but uh, so I met him. Do I know him? No, I don't, don't know him at all, do I? Now, I can talk about his name that I met him or her but I don't know him. I have to know something about them. And what they believe in, and, and well, staying on the political side, and what they have done, that I may have an opinion about them. So, uh, because you can say that, because people can say the name Jesus Christ and how much they love him, does that mean they know him? So I think these first nine verses here in Philippians, which I read and quote uh, portions of a lot, is all that, that brings us to the point that we know him. It tells us something about him. Well, actually, it tells us something about us as well. And we need to know something about us before we really know him and his importance and value. So, so uh, verse 10, that I may know him. Let's go back to the first nine verses, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, to, or, uh, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not irksome or grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, this doesn't mean uh, four-legged dogs. Uh, 
But it says, but we're to beware. It says, for we are the circumcision. Now, that is no more physical than the dogs are physical. Talking about a spiritual circumcision. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh or zero confidence in the flesh. That's a circumcision. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he has reason for which he might trust in the flesh, I more. And I like this. This tells us about himself uh, prior to the Lord converting him rather not so gently, shall I say. Brother Olson taught two sermons in the comforter, police brutality. And uh, it wasn't so gentle how he brought uh, Saul uh, to the light and to believing. But he says here, he says now, because you know what Saul, Paul, later Paul, had to deal with the Pharisees uh, and, and the, the lawyers. And I'm, when I'm saying lawyers, I mean uh, the Mosaic law. And that's what he had to deal with. And they would brag about this and talk about it, as people do today. But he said, listen, if any of you have reason to brag about the flesh, I've got more. So then he goes to tell something. In verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. And he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he, he throws this out there. says, okay, you that want to trust in the flesh, I got more reason than all of you trust in the flesh. But we see he no longer trusts in the flesh. When he was Saul of Tarshish, when he was a Pharisee, he certainly did. And he was, in fact, he was going out trying to destroy those that didn't believe in the flesh, those that trusted in this Jesus Christ, trying to destroy all those. So he says, I've got more reason than all of trust in the flesh. However, I don't. And you shouldn't. Well, who do we trust in then? Well, that leads us back to our verse, that I may know him. But let's go on verse 7. But what things were gained to me? He had a lot of things gained to him. Pharisee and, and high ranking and educated and everything. A lot of things to gain to him. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but refuge or dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So now, I think we, we need to know this. We need to have this knowledge. And then he says, that I may know him. When he was, when he was Saul of Tarshish, did he know Jesus Christ? Well, no doubt he knew of him. And, and no doubt he knew, didn't understand, but he knew the teaching and the doctrine of Christ. 
because he could recognize it. He was going out and trying to destroy all those followers of Jesus Christ. And you remember Stephen and so forth. So he knew Jesus Christ, knew of him, but he didn't really know him. It, it takes the loss of all this gain, so-called gain, before you can know him. Now, the Lord brings all that to pass, of course. But as long as, as we feel, as long as I would think that my righteousness is in the law of Moses, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus Christ. If I feel that my salvation of my soul is in the law of Moses or anything else, I don't know Jesus Christ. I don't know the importance of what he did, the importance of why he even came, the importance of his shed blood, the importance of his death and burial and resurrection. If, if I don't see what I am, if I think my righteousness is in the law, then I don't know him. But to lose all that and I, uh, at one time, I uh, looked to the law of Moses, didn't want to, didn't want to even know about it. And as I've confessed before, Debbie, I didn't even want to drive by the church building out of Arabia. I didn't want to think about it. I wasn't the worst teenager. Not not a top either, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, but I didn't want to think about God. Because when I thought about God, all I could think about was my righteousness and the, the law, laws, and people add on to that, of course. And uh, I just wanted to hide from him. And uh, I, I would think of the lake of fire. Didn't want to, but the more I didn't want to, the more I thought about it. And I thought, you know, that's not till the end of the year or in the decade or the end of the century or, or till I die, it's forever and ever and ever. And uh, so I was looking at my own righteousness in the law and other things that people would tell me that you hear on television and radio and pick up these little tracks and everything. I was looking to that. I did not know Jesus Christ. Now, I'd heard the name, but I didn't know him. I didn't know why he came. I did not know come, that he chose me or God chose me in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. And that Jesus Christ came, suffered the things that he suffered, shed his blood, gave his life to redeem me. I did not know that. And the world today, uh, very educated and religious people, they don't know that. They think it's based on their righteousness or other things. And, and let me mention this because it's on my mind as far as other things. Man on television this morning, and I typically have it on one of the religious channels of a morning. And uh, a very educated young man uh, had a very studied delivery that he was uh, delivering perfectly, no doubt, according to the way he intended to. 
And he says, I don't know why uh, preachers say some of the stupidest things. And he gave some examples of what he's talking about. But you know what else this man said? He says, a little later, and he was uh, saying some other things. He said, now when you, a little later, I'm going to ask. And when you come up to this altar... And the very second, millisecond, blink of an eye that you accept him, then you write your name, that book, down in the land's book of life. I thought, according to the scriptures, that took place before the foundation of the world. And before the foundation of the world... I didn't, couldn't do anything, couldn't make any choices, couldn't make any decisions. So, to know him. Uh, he says that I may know him. And, uh, I, and again, I think to know him, we have to know something about ourselves that we can attain to this righteousness. That we don't have, uh, Isaiah said, we're all an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are filthy rags. We need to know that before we know him. And then uh, uh, in Philippians there, it says, uh, back in Philippians, it says, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So let's talk about his power and his resurrection and and let's go let's go now to the first chapter of the hated book and that's I hear some people turning that's the book of Ephesians I heard a man on television one time he said those Baptists wouldn't have anything if they didn't have the book of Ephesians and as I told you hundreds of times I wanted to reach through the screen and say, but we have the book of Ephesians. And the same thing's written throughout the Bible if, if the Lord would open your eyes to it. But nevertheless, book of Ephesians chapter 1. So we're talking about his power and the power of his resurrection. Uh, don't want to look to our own power for anything, do we? Uh, and let's go to verse 18. Ephesians 1 and 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And let me stop there. That, that hope, it's not, a, and, and Debbie heard your dad say it so many times, it's not a maybe hope. This is a hope with expectation, expected. So, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and it's not a maybe hope. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power. And that's what I want to talk about uh, on this portion uh, of, the, of our text. The power of his resurrection. But 
look what else it says. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us? Is that not a blessing? Towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Towards us who believe. Well, who's that? Who will believe? I've gotten trouble different times in the past. And I said, I don't put enough importance on believing. I'm grateful for believing. I'm thankful for believing. But, well, in this verse here, uh, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Who believes? Well, it's up to you to believe, right? It's up to everyone of their own free will to believe. That's what the whole religious world teaches. But what does the Bible teach? Who will believe? Acts 13, 48. I won't go there. All that were ordained to eternal life believed. It does not say the ones that believe gets eternal life. So if we go back here before the foundation of the world, when the name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all that were ordained to eternal life, and these were, all that were ordained to eternal life will believe. It was ordained. All it was ordained to eternal life believe. So, what importance do I put on believe? Do I put a lot of importance? I am so grateful for believing. That tells me that my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. So, yes, I'm thankful for believing. That we may know, not have to go through this earthly life not knowing. And I heard somebody else one time said, Well, you can't know where your eternity is going to be until you die. And their reasoning on that was because you don't know what you'll do the rest of your life. Well, that's true. I don't know what I'm going to do the next few minutes, I guess. But I know what Jesus Christ did, and that's what it's based on. <coughs> uh, <clears throat> so Ephesians 1:19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power. And see, that, that goes ahead, and that puts an exclamation point on it, I suppose. According to those, or uh, power towards us who believe, according to, according to what? They believe according to what? Do we look to ourselves according to our choices, according to our works, according to our decisions? It, there again, it says it here. According to the working of his mighty power. The fact that you believe is according to his mighty power. You look at Saul of Tarsus. As, as in my study of the scriptures, I think he was the biggest enemy that the church had upon the earth. And to, for him to be converted, it took a mighty power, but not the power of Saul. And no less power for you to believe and for me to believe. It's the biggest mir a miracle 
as it was Saul of Tarsus, the scripture tells us we would choose darkness rather than light. We would never believe. But the work of his mighty power. Uh, I'm going to read 19.20 again here in Ephesians. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which is wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So this is that mighty power that he raised Christ from the dead, power of his resurrection, which our text spoke of. The uh, power of his resurrection. Mighty power wrought in Christ as he raised him from the dead. Let's go to uh, Gospel of John, chapter 11. And certainly we could spend the rest of our lives talking about the power of his resurrection, couldn't we? And gratitude for that. John 11. And uh, so this talks about resurrection here. Uh, and let's go to uh, verse 21, starting. Then said Martha unto Jesus, and this is uh, when Lazarus has, has died there. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know even now, whatever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection uh, at the last day. So she had heard the teaching of Jesus. He had taught them this. And then verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We already know who's going to believe on him, don't we? We already uh, established that. But says, he says, I am the resurrection. You can't separate Jesus from the resurrection. Uh, you know, we hear these examples all the time. Uh, if you look in the dictionary for great uh, coaches, you'll see Vince Lombardi or... Uh, and you know, we know what it means. We know what it's talking about. <coughs> but as we look at this resurrection, he tells Martha, he says, I am the resurrection. In John, <coughs> We won't go there. We've looked at before 1 John 2. John said, uh, uh, you know, we've seen him. We've talked to him. We've handled. And he said, and he could have said, and we've handled the Christ. or We've handled the Jesus. But he says, we've seen, we've talked to, we've handled that eternal life. So... Jesus Christ is eternal life. John even basically gives that as a name. We, we've handled him. We've touched him and everything. We've this eternal life. That's what he gives as his name there. And here Jesus gives himself another name, if you will. 
I am the resurrection. You can't, you can't separate the resurrection from him. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And starting in verse 12. <clears throat> now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how some say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection from the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and our faith also in vain? Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised, uh, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins, because that's part of uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, redeeming you from your sins. Then they, also, uh, are, then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And what a true statement that is. When we lose sight, and when I, you say, well, you mean if we lose sight. Well, I look at myself. When we lose sight of Christ, I can't be focused on him every second. Uh, I certainly, we certainly do lose our, uh, then we become most miserable, uh, what it says there. So, resurrection. If I get to heaven on the basis of what I do, coming to an altar, making the right decisions, making the right choices, holding on faithful to the end, then <clears throat> I'm not grateful for his death, burial, and resurrection, because I'm going to get there another way. So, all men most miserable. Now, uh, I'm going to go back to Ephesians again there for a second in that first chapter. Uh, I'm going to go to 19 again, then we'll read a little farther. Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the <coughs> exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only uh, in this age but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I... Uh, have in the past, and, and I don't mind the discussion, 
to say, you know, it doesn't make any difference about the church. It just doesn't make any difference. Then what, what is this about then? Gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Why did he shed his blood for his church? If the church, it doesn't make any difference. I've yet to hear a good answer to that. And then verse 23, which is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Boy, that's a short verse there, but can you grasp that? I'm going to read 22 and 23 together. But, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, or which is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness that filleth all things, all in all. Don't tell me the church, the body of Christ, is not important. He filleth all things, the, the all in all. I, I don't know what other words you could use. I'm sure you could come up with some uh, larger, longer words, but that filleth all in all. Uh, the church is the body of Christ, uh, and members in particular, we are. Uh, let me go to Colossians just a second. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, C. Eighteen and nineteen, Colossians one eighteen nineteen, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that resurrection again, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. There it is again. Pretty small words, in him all fullness dwell. But yet we hear the religious world talk a little bit about him, set him on a shelf, and then talk about you or talk about themselves. Make that right decision. Take the first step. Pray through. Uh, uh, do these things. Uh, and then get to the best that you can. Then hold on faithful to the end. And then maybe at the end, they might take him back off the shelf and talk about him a little bit. But they don't see all the fullness in him. You, he's a cheerleader. It's all up to you. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. So our lesson talked about the power of his resurrection towards us. 1 Peter chapter 1. Talk about the power of his resurrection, but it makes it personal when he says, towards us. And, and I hope you can look at that and say, towards me. I hope you can see that. Power of his resurrection towards me. Power of his resurrection towards you. I hope you can see it that way. Uh, 1 Peter 1. 
And three, the power of his resurrections towards us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, not according to your works, not according to all these other things, according to his uh, abundant mercy, hath begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there we go again. The power of his resurrection towards us. Uh, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Who's the you? You who are kept by the power of God. So, it says it can't fade away. There are people that says, you can lose your salvation. You can lose the salvation of your, whole, of your soul. I told you a story before, and let me mention it again. heard a man on television and uh, telling this story. And he said there was this uh, elderly lady in uh, a uh, care facility and everything, hospital or hospice or something like that, and said she would have been a good Christian person all of her life, on her way to heaven, ready to die, on her way to heaven. And her son came in. And to just entertain her a little bit and, and, and passed away some time, got out a deck of cards. And they was playing cards. All of a sudden, he, this man said, the flames of hell's forest started burning her feet and everything, and she died went to hell. Preachers do say some pretty stupid things, and that was, that, was certainly, that was certainly one of them. But this says, to inherit, as far as his, well, verse 3, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God. I've told you about reservations before. I've had some reservations that's been canceled because of late flights and things like that. Do you think this reservation confirmed by God will be uh, uh, fade away or corrupt away? No. You who are kept by the power of God. So uh, it, it just takes man out of the picture. So that, the uh, uh, power of his resurrection towards us. And we're not going to have time, but our text also talked about uh, fellowship of his suffering. And uh, it said you shouldn't be surprised if, uh, if you're criticized and everything because they certainly they did him. Don't be surprised if you're hated by the religious world. He was hated. In fact, if you're not despised by the religious world, then uh, maybe you should look at some things. <laughs> uh, and then it, uh, the last part of our lesson, don't have time to go into it, talks about being conformable unto his death. And again, uh, I just leave us with the thought of the power of that resurrection from the dead and then the last part that we be conformable to that. 
May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We are dismissed.